You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm our uh, pastor over missions, and I'm excited to be here today. Kind of an international vibe going on throughout the church, and so um, today is the day that we, we stop, we focus one, at least once a year on, on missions. And um, as you know here at Grace, uh, we, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the nations. Let me say that again. The hope of the nations. Yeah, we get excited about that. Um, and we have people right now that are out serving all over the all over the world, and so I want to just highlight those guys. We put together a, a pamphlet in the back. We've made one for every family, so um, basically it has all of our missionaries, where they're currently serving, what they're doing. Um, so I encourage you to grab one of these on your way out if you didn't on the way in. And as always, on the wall right outside, we have cards of all of our different missionaries, where they're serving, how you can uh, join them in supporting them, praying for them. So we just encourage you guys to do that because uh, taking the gospel to the nations is all of our duty, right? In some some way, shape, or form. So um, let let me just introduce you to some of our our missionaries here. Uh, Can you click through those? Because I don't have a clicker here. Um, Oh, yeah. I want to tell you about this. Uh, Dave Vosser and our mission team, uh, Rebecca Sylvia, Barry Smith, Philip McCurley, and myself, um, we've been thinking about this Sunday, and, and Dave came up with this great idea in Acts, the gospel, um, Jesus says, listen, you guys are going you, to take this gospel. You're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they go out, and, the go- and they're, they're taking the gospel out, and there's all, ki- all kinds of hindrances they keep running into. But the gospel is unchained, man. It's, it's, it's unstoppable. So um, all throughout the book of Acts, you see ways that the Holy Spirit overcame And the gospel kept going. And at the end of Acts, it says that Paul was proclaiming the gospel, preaching the word, and it was going out unhindered, even though he was somewhat hindered. It's an amazing story. So there's about five places around the church where we have those uh, out there. Take a look and see how the gospel is going forward. All right, next slide. Let me me introduce you to some of our missionaries. This is Zach and Mary Veslick. They're serving in Asia. We don't want to say specifically where because it's a real hot area, but... um, they're actually going to be back tomorrow. They missed this by one day. I'm like, come on. But we'll get them up here in, in early August. So uh, this is Kit Tischler. He's in South Africa. Uh, next slide. This is uh, Ted and Renate Rubish serving in Sri Lanka. It's been rough there, but they're still going strong. Stan and Carol, UAE. Uh, who else we got? Uh, the Penners. I want to stop on these guys. Um, Mark and Mary Esther are going to be here Monday, June 12th. Um, this went out in our email last week. Hopefully it's going to go out in our email next week, um, excuse me, this week as well. Uh, Monday night, 6 o'clock in the great room, they're going to be sharing about um, what they've been working on, the Japanese sign language Bible. Because they believe that, that uh, the scriptures should be available for everyone in their own heart language. So they're going to have a, a deaf Japanese pastor come. He's going to share. It's going to be fascinating, man. You guys should come out to that. Monday night, June, June 12th. Matt and Sharon, they're serving with, uh, in Slovenia still. Great couple, Rick and Andrea. They're in East Asia working at a Chinese school. Bob is, well, Bob's all over the place. He's international. He's like Carl over here, who you're going to meet in just a second. He's serving, 
Yeah, Rebecca, sorry. Um, Gonzala and, and Rebecca Gonzalez, they're serving in Baja. Uh, Ignacio, a.k.a. Nacho, he's serving in Michoacan and other places in Mexico. Ron and Jeannie, they're in Latin America. Jesus film. Philip McCurley, he's, he's all over the place, too. He's actually got a, a table out here, so go out and talk to him. He's, he's working with missionaries all over the world as well. And Carl and Gwen, Carl, I'm going to invite you to come up here. This is Carl Schumacher. He um, is going to tell us what he does. He's got a large family. His leg looks like it's healed up since the picture, so that's good. And one more thing I want to tell you about is um, this year we're, we're teaming up with WorldLink International Ministries. We're bringing them on as an annual support to our missions budget. This organization um, empowers indigenous missionaries to share the love of God and the gospel um, all over the world um, it, with, the most le- with the least reached people groups. And so they're, they're training up indigenous missionaries, or they're encouraging and equipping them. They already know the language. They're not taking furloughs. They're, they're there. They, they know the culture. And so it's just amazing what this organization, you'll hear more about this. But Carl, it's good to see you, man. Thanks. Glad Carl could come today. Um, tell us what you're doing, how we can support you, and appreciate it. Great. Well, good morning. My name is Carl Schumacher, for those of you who don't know. For those of you who do know, it's still Carl Schumacher. <laughs> I am married to Gwen. We've been married for 20-some-odd years. She's here. She can tell you the exact time. Uh, we have seven children, five boys, two girls. Our oldest is 25. He's in Orlando. We have one in Chicago. We have one getting married uh, this summer. And then we have two that will be going to school. So we'll be down to two. So it's, it's going to feel like our house is empty. But we, have been, we had served in East Asia for 25 years. Loved our time there. God called us out of there. Uh, and then uh, we then came back to the U.S. We weren't sure what we were going to do. We had a heart for theological education. We have a heart for developing leaders for the Great Commission. And so we ended up landing with a group that was doing theological education, which I was doing in the second half of my time in East Asia. So that worked out really well. And I would like you, if you would, turn to Ezra 710, because this is sort of what we're after. And it's... If you think about Ezra, right, he came in, he was leading the second wave in uh, after the time of um, dispersion where they were disciplined for 70 years. And he says this in Ezra 7.10 when he brings the second wave in. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, to teach the statutes and the ordinances there. So first thing he did is he set his heart. We want people whose hearts are set towards the gospel, towards the word of God. And then after he did that, then he studied it. He spent time to really know who God is through his word. And then he practiced it. He lived it out. And as he lived it out, he experienced God and his power and his ability to do the things that God wanted to do in and through Ezra. And then finally, not only then did he, he study it, did he practice it, then he taught it to others. And that's, that's really what we're after. So when we came back, we, uh, had been, I'd been traveling back and forth to Africa and, you know, when I go to Africa, they say, oh, you're truly African because you have seven children. And I'm like, wow, that's good. And then I got malaria. And then I realized that I really was African. But uh, coming back then, I, I also was frustrated because I'd been teaching for years. And it's more the dump truck method. You know, come in, you just dump the load of information. And then you next day, you dump another load of information. And it's like, okay, I don't think that's what Ezra was after. He had set his heart to know the Lord, to study. And so we had that part. But what we were missing is really helping people to holistically 
understand the word of God and to take that and to have it impact their families, have it impact their local situations. And so what we did is when COVID came, it was a huge gift to us. It allowed us to focus on a different way of doing theological education where we're developing leaders for the Great Commission. And what we realized is we wanted to do it holistically. Head, there's things they need to know. Heart, there's a, they actually need to be a certain kind of people. And then hands, they need to be able to do certain things. And so as we have been doing this, we have now, we're, fast forward, we're, our Latin American contingent, we started with 58, 40 plus will graduate. Uh, we'll be going down to Colombia in July to celebrate with them. And I'd like to share two stories. One is Oliver and Zulma are married. They have two girls. And uh, when we started, Oliver was the, he was the head of all of uh, the Latin American outreaches on campuses. And so one of the things that we do is we go through the seminary degree is we want them to read the entire Bible. And then we want them to be able to take the story, the narrative of the Bible, and put it on one piece of paper and to be able to then tell the story wherever they are, because there's many connection points with the gospel. And so what they did is they decided they were going to create a game for their girls. They have a, a seven and a five-year-old, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca and Rachel. And so they created a game with all the main elements of the story, and then their girls would uh, invite their, the idea was that their girls would invite friends over and their families over, and then they'd be able to share the gospel. The wife is incredibly talented in terms of her ability to do graphics. And so they created this game. It's a beautiful game. And then what happened is their girl, because she's become so familiar with the story, as a seven-year-old, when she was with one of her classmates, she started telling her the story, which led to the gospel, then which led to their girl coming to know Christ. And so that was just a beautiful way of saying that when we're, when we're trying to deal with people in theological education, it's not something where we're just focused on the head but we want to engage their hearts, and we want them to be able to then express that. Then I'll end with this story. Uh, we're doing this also at our church at Good Shepherd. We have five that are going through a master's program. And one of them, Josh, who leads worship, he did a, he's been doing a study on what is, actually, what is worship? What, is, what does the Bible actually teach about worship? What does it teach about music? And what you could begin to see is there was a transformation that took place where people are saying, I don't know what's going on, but I'm really enjoying the worship experience more than I ever have before. And the reason why is that Josh was connecting intimately with the Lord, and he was beginning to see what the Bible talks about, what worship actually is, what the role of music is in that, and so that all of what he was doing was being transformed. And so I remember it was a Saturday, and we were home, and my wife, Gwen, she goes, Carl, you need to listen to Josh. I go, look, I love Josh. I love his voice. But I got other things I need to do right. She goes, no, it has nothing to do with singing. It's what he's talking about. And so as I listened to him, what he was sharing was the things that he had been personally wrestling with in the area of worship. My role was not to teach him about worship, nor is it to teach him about music, since I know very little, I know a little bit more about worship because we do that all the time. I know nothing about music. But what I did teach him was a process. How do you go from the scriptures to understanding how you can create some kind of a teaching on whether it's worship or music, and he then took the, the process and he applied it to his personal situation. And that's what we're after, where his wife is saying that, you know, he's engaged with his wife and saying, you know, this is what I'm learning. And well, she's learning as he's learning. And so they're growing together deeper in their understanding of the word, their love for Christ. And that's what missions is, right? It's just trying to say we're all in this journey of discipleship together. And what is my role? What is your role 
in helping people move closer to who Jesus is and what he's doing in this world. So that's just a little snapshot of what we do. And I'll be out there if anybody wants to talk more. Thanks. All right, you may be seated. Uh, CJ, come on up here. I want to introduce you guys to a, a friend and a like-minded brother here. This is CJ Coffey. He's pastor, founding pastor of the Well Church in Portland. He's been there 23 years. Faithful man of God with a servant's heart. And we had uh, Dave Voster and Coffey and I had breakfast a month ago or so and uh, asked if he would come and and share because I know his his heart for the nations is immense and his commitment to the word of God is unwavering. So brother, it's an honor. Thank you. Thanks, Bring man. the word of God. Thank you, man. You got some sweet kicks too. Uh, thank you. Good morning. It's such an honor to be here with you. Uh, let me pray. God, thank you for the grace of the gospel. Thank you for the eternal hope we have in Christ, our crucified and risen King. Thank you, O oh God, for the church, the community of the redeemed, those who have been rescued by grace and grace alone. Thank you for the many stories of transformation represented in this room, of faithfulness, of perseverance, even in difficulty. Oh God, thank you for the glory you received and continue to receive from your blood bought people. Thank you for Grace Community Church, for their faithfulness all these years to you, to the gospel, to the scriptures. Pray your blessing on this congregation, especially on this Sunday, with a focus on what you are doing around the world. Would you continue to bless this church Continue to sustain them, continue to encourage them, and provide for them in every way, O oh God. Help me, O oh God, in my weakness to explain this accurately, true to your word, and in a way that is helpful for these dear saints. In your great name, amen. Greetings from the church I serve in, the Well Community Church. Um, Matt thinks more highly of me than I am. I wasn't the founding pastor. I was there when the church started, but it was about five or six years in where I joined the leadership team and now have the privilege of serving there on the, the elder pastor team for the last, since 2006. Um, so it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Um, our text this morning, the text that will kind of anchor everything I'm going to say in, is from Daniel chapter 7. Let me just set it up and it'll be on the screen. It'll be verses 13 and 14 if you prefer to look at it in front of you. Daniel, as probably many of us know, 
is a Hebrew exile. He's been taken away from his country and forced to serve under foreign empires. He rises to this valuable asset in the Babylonian and later Persian empires. He has this unique gift of wisdom, specifically the ability to interpret dreams. And this in a culture where dreams are very important and very significant. So in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision of four beasts. If you read it, it reads a bit scary, a bit creepy, a bit daunting, leading to many, many different interpretations over the years of church history. And don't worry, I'm not going to get into any of those. That is not the point of the passage, other than these four beasts represent four different kingdoms. But then Daniel sees the throne of God. He sees him who rules over all kingdoms and powers. And it is in that context that this vision occurs. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. In my vision at night I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man. So for the reader of the New Testament Bells and whistles are going off because we know that our Lord was referred to as the Son of Man 81 times in the New Testament. It was often the title that he applied to himself. Like one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And for the Old Testament reader, bells and whistles are going off because they know there's only one who comes on clouds. So they might think, for example, of Exodus 19, 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. There was one like the Son of Man. He was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, the language Daniel gives to God the Father. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Amen. And note, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. For the rhetorical purpose of emphasis, let me read that again. All nations... And peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. If I can summarize it in this way. God the Father gives God the Son a kingdom. This kingdom, so says the written word of God, will be an eternal kingdom that will outlast every and all other kingdoms. And those who are a part of this kingdom 
are from all peoples, all nations, and all languages. So, therefore, as we continue to follow the biblical storyline, the narrative arc of the words of God recorded in Scripture, we understand things a little bit better based on this vision. It's why Jesus in Mark chapter 1 refused to stay in one place when they were ready to make him a celebrity because he said, I've got to get to the next town. For that's why I was called here to preach. It's why Jesus in Luke chapter 7 and Mark chapter 7, among many others, relates to, engages with Gentiles, non-Jews. And the reader of biblical literature knows quite well that the Jews, in many cases, had become quite racist and quite prejudiced against Gentiles. And yet our Lord specifically, lovingly, graciously engages with many non-Jews. It's why Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends to go to all nations and make disciples. Produce other people that will follow you, will follow me as you do. Matthew 28. It's why when the Holy Spirit comes on those first Christians in Jerusalem, they proclaim the majesty of God in multiple languages. The different languages represented in Jerusalem at Pentecost. It's why when Paul decided where to take his missionary journeys, he looked at a map, if you will, according to Romans 15, 20, and decided he would go where the gospel had not gone. It's why Paul refuses to give in to the Judaizers. Judaizers. Said that wrong again, but we'll move on. Saying in Galatians and in other places that those who force Gentile believers into being like Jews are preaching another gospel. Because this gospel is for all peoples and languages and it's not assigned or attached to one particular culture or ethnicity. And it's why John at the final revelation sees this grand multitude that no one can number. And that multitude is made up of people that are multi-ethnic and multilingual. You see, dear saints, the kingdom of our Christ is a kingdom that is multi-ethnic and multilingual. It is a kingdom of black, white, and brown. In light of the vision, therefore, given to Daniel and the flow of redemptive history that is contained in the scriptures, we, I submit to you, and by we, I mean the fellowship I'm a part of and Grace Community Church and every other gathered congregation in the world, we are called to be missionary churches. We are called to be those who engage with, pray for, and send people to the ends of the earth. This is not man's invention. This is not the church's good idea. This is not theologians' great muse to create a project that the church can jump on board with. No, this is and has always been at the center of of our Lord's redemptive purposes in all the earth. 
that this kingdom would be multi-ethnic and multilingual. So I invite you, faithful saints of Grace Community, to once again, as our church does regularly, to commit yourself to being a missionary church. Let me define the task before us as we make that commitment. Do we have that map present? So Joshua Project, which is a well-respected missionary research organization, does as best they can. We understand stats are an imperfect science, but does to the best of their ability track the global progress of the gospel. And one of the ways they do that is in this map. The green represents where the church is established or significant. It doesn't, of course, mean that everyone in the green is a Christian or that we don't have much need in the green. It just means where is the church established? And that's represented in green. Yellow represents where the church is formative or nominal. And red represents where the largest concentration of what they call unreached people groups live. Unreached people group, again, is a term that has been applied by modern missiologists. And what it means simply is if you have a group that defines themselves kind of cohesively together, and they define themselves by language and religion and culture and geographic boundaries and barriers to other people groups. It's a group that is defined that way. Unreached means there's not enough Christians within that group to tell everyone else in that group the gospel. So a group might be a few hundred people and it might be in the millions. Now, it does not mean that there's no Christians in the red. Certainly some of the most faithful churches in the world are in the red. But what it means is if you look at where are those people who have little or no access to the gospel, where do they live? And according to this map, in its imperfect, imperfect science, they live in the red. And so now... What will it take for our churches here in the Northwest and then collectively to become greater even, stronger even, more intentional even missionary churches given the reality of the task still set before us? What will it take given this responsibility to continue on this trajectory of being missionary churches. And I've got five points I'll submit to you. These are points that we've learned at our church, often through failure. How are we going to be even more intentional in being missionary churches? Firstly, it is going to take a prioritization in time, energy, focus, and finance. For a church to be a missionary church, it's going to take significant investment. It will not happen by accident. Like most things in life, 
you don't accidentally drift into them. So for example, if I want to be a good husband, I'm not going to be a good husband by accident. If I want to be a good father to my three children, I'm not going to be a good father to my three children by accident. If I want to be a good and faithful witness of the gospel in my corner, in my neighborhood, I'm not going to sort of stumble into it because of my lack of intentionality. And similarly so, if we want to be missionary churches, dear saints, it won't happen by accident. It is going to require a prioritization in time and energy and focus and finance. There is a cost. And I submit to you, there will be sacrifices to pay. So for example, the budget for expenses here might be less. Thanks be to God, you're already sending so many workers. You could be taking that money and investing it right in this community. And perhaps there are even those among your community who wish you would. But if we're going to lean into and obey our Lord, it's going to cost money. You might be a smaller church because you're sending people to other places. There might be the cost of saying goodbyes. Our congregation has experienced this lately where people are feeling actually deep grief because of all the goodbyes they've said with the people we've sent. But if Daniel 7 is true, and it is because all the Bible's true, if Daniel 7 is true and this kingdom is multi-ethnic and multilingual and it's why the redemptive flow of Scripture points as it does, then any sacrifice, dear saints, is most appropriate for the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of His Christ. But it will take a prioritization. Secondly, for us to be these continued missionary churches, it's going to require, and these are all interrelated points, of course, a commitment to send people, to pool your resources, to send individuals and families from your congregation to be long-term witnesses of the gospel in parts of the world with the greatest need. Sending, as I mentioned earlier, can hurt. You take people you love, people who are contributing disciples to the life and mission of your local church, and you send them far away. And other people benefit from their gifting and calling. Our tendency is to want to hoard Keep them here in our church, in our area, in our country. I want to do that with my adult kids. I always joke, I'm happy to send them anywhere in the world. Now they leave the house and I'm like, hey, when are you going to start calling me and come back again? We intuitively want them to stay close. But if we are going to be those who obey our Lord, we must send Are there saints here in this congregation at this point of deciding what is the next chapter to do in my life? God has been shaking you up and stirring you so 
Might it be that what he is providentially working out and what he is shaping your heart for is long-term gospel witness among the red? And might it be, saints of grace, that he has called you to pool your resources to send those from within your congregation whom God is calling even today. Now please note there can be this tendency to think that we can only send or we can only go if we are super qualified, specialized people. So for example, we must be seminary graduates or we must send seminary graduates or we must be what some would refer to as missions junkies. Missions nerds like I am. But what happens is this can produce an unbiblical elitism and cause many to think that the cause of global mission is for someone else. Now don't get me wrong, we should send our best. But best as the Bible describes it. Those who meet the biblical qualifications of leadership and those who have a proven calling to take the gospel cross-culturally as assessed and evaluated by the local congregation they are a part of. But if they meet those qualifications, we need to send. Some perhaps dismiss themselves because they don't feel qualified enough, because they don't have the academic pedigree or sort of the history to consider lifelong service among the parts of our world as read. But I would encourage you, based on what we see in Scripture, upon who our Lord calls and uses in His service, if you meet the biblical qualifications of leadership, deacons specifically and or eldership, you are a prime candidate to take the gospel to the red. Some might think they're too old. Might I gently push back on this? We need your gray hairs. We need your wisdom. We need people who have already raised their children. They've gone through all the ups and the downs. We need people who've spent 30, 40 years in a particular vocation and have learned it back and forth. I just was with someone in the Arabian Gulf in his mid-60s who had completed his career here in the States and is now in the Arabian Gulf. I can't even tell you where it is because it's not good to tell you where it is. And serving vocationally in a position of significant responsibility on a vocation that he cut his teeth in for many, many years here in the States. And now has access in a way that I'll never have access there. And please remember, for our older saints, that other cultures are not backwards like this one. 
where the young get the honor and the old get the dishonor. It is ridiculous. Muslim cultures have not made such a mistake. The honor goes to the old. Might you, dear saints, be ready to serve among people who will give you right honor among Muslims for gospel witness? Some have dismissed themselves because they're struggling with sin. It's true. You can't go to the field if you're looking at pornography. But, dear friend, repent. Find the liberating power of the gospel that that will no longer shackle you. Do the hard work to walk in biblical obedience so that this congregation might send you. Said all that to say, if we are going to be missionary churches, it is going to require a commitment to send people. Thirdly, if we're going to lean into this and continue on this mission of being biblical missionary churches, it's going to require an awareness of and commitment to the reality of suffering in the global work of the gospel. It's one of the things that is hardest about sending people as a pastor is that they're going to experience some of the most difficult, sometimes even traumatic things in life. Those places on the map that we saw, many of them are red because they are hard places to live. Bob Blinko, who is the former president of um, Frontiers here in the U.S., said rather tongue-in-cheek, Hawaii has been taken. <laughs> One of my other fellow elders, he always jokes, when are we going to do well church plant Maui? And there are faithful churches there. The reason that some of these places have no faithful churches is because it is hard to live there. As you send people and continue to send people and support those you have sent, they will experience or are experiencing great difficulty. And to be a missionary church is going to embrace what the scripture says about suffering, our promise not of health and wealth and ease and comfort, but of difficulty and adversarial relationships, to embrace that truth and to send. Fourthly, to lean into this and to be these missionary churches, is it, it is going to require a robust appreciation for the multi-ethnic framework of the gospel movement. Brothers and sisters, this Sunday around the world, as congregations gather, as we are gathered here, they are singing in Arabic, French, Spanish, Chinese, Russian, Hindi, Urdu, and hundreds of other languages. The Christian church is the most ethnically and culturally diverse community on the planet, and it's not even close. 
In another lifetime ago, we served on a team in North Africa, and our closest friends, one of our closest friends, was a Muslim, mostly secular uh, psychiatrist who had really very little interest in the gospel. But the one thing that at least he shared with us that compelled him was how global it was. As I said before, this is not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's not a brown thing. It's for all peoples in all languages. You see, dear saints, this is why Christian nationalism, ethnocentrism, or racism are so foreign to the Christian, or should be. Because we're a part of this global, multi-ethnic, multilingual, eternal family. How and why could I think my country or my language or my people or my skin color is the best when I've got spiritual aunties and uncles from Egypt and Norway, from France and Chad, from Somalia and Paraguay, I've got brothers and sisters from Mexico and China, Russia and Angola, Sweden and Yemen. If our churches are going to be sending churches, we must appreciate, we must love the multi-ethnic, multilingual reality of the global movement of the gospel. And fifthly and finally, to be the sending churches that you are by grace, praise God for you, and will by grace continue to be, it is going to require a biblical humility. One thing we struggle with as humans is placing ourselves at the center of everything. We naturally think what's important to us and pressing, most pressing to us must be the most important and most pressing thing to everyone else. I'm not on social media, but it's been told to me that there are folks on social media who post minute details all day about every minute thing that happens in their life or post each and every move that their child makes. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to be mean or overly critical, but how this expresses itself in our world is to think that we are the center of everything and that it really does matter every thought I have or everything I do. How that expresses itself in missions is we make it all about what's happening in Portland or all about what's happening in Gresham or all about what's happening at the Well Community Church or all about what's happening at Grace Community Church. But biblical humility re recognizes that we are just a small part of a big story. That we are just one little picture of this glorious canvas that our Lord is creating. And so, in response, we look outside of our immediate circumstances. We humble ourselves to consider what's happening elsewhere. If we want to continue to be missionary churches, it is going to require, dear saints, I submit to you, a biblical humility. In review, if we want to lean into what we see in Daniel chapter 7 as it plays out in the rest of Scripture, it's going to require the prioritization 
in time and finance in money. It's going to require a commitment to sending people even when it hurts. It's going to require a biblical commitment to sending people. It's going to require, lost my notes, an awareness of the suffering that we're sending to and yet a continued commitment to the work. It's going to require a robust appreciation for the multi-ethnic framework of the gospel. And lastly, it will call us to a biblical humility. One final point. The most common objection I hear when discussing these things is that we need to focus here first. So in our context, my context, it would be Portland. Your context, Gresham, or whatever community you live in. And we talk about the problems that we have here in our current situation. And say, how can we worry about other places when we have so many concerns here? Might I gently and humbly push back and just ask us to consider a couple of things. Most agree that this is the most prosperous, wealthy, influential place in world history. And by the providence of God, you and I are here. If someone wants to hear the gospel in Portland, people say that Portland is this unchurched, crazy town. It's where I was born and raised. That there's just no Christians there. That it's so hard. Dear friends, if I step out of my house in North Portland, grab a rock, and go in any direction, and give it a David-like heave, that rock will probably fall within 10 feet of a faithful church. I'm exaggerating for rhetorical emphasis, but you get what I mean. There are so many faithful, God-honoring churches in our region, in a region supposedly that is unchurched. I don't mean to minimize our needs, but if people want a Bible in Portland or Gresham, they can easily find one. If they want to go to a church where they hear the gospel preached, it might take them two or three churches, but they'll find one. But for those who are in the red, for many of them, those things are not an option. Secondly, just to consider that obedience to God in one area does not automatically equate disobedience to God in another area. So, for example, just because we care about the world and send workers overseas does not mean that we're neglecting where we are locally. Any more than to be a good husband to my wife means I'm neglecting my children. No, we can do both. We can be those who engage with the world with intentionality and sacrificial generosity and at the same time are robustly involved in our present local context. So we should focus here and there, there and here, obeying our Lord in making disciples everywhere.
King Jesus is building his kingdom. It's a kingdom from people from all places, from all ethnicities and all languages. He has given us, his church, his blood-purchased people, the grace, the privilege to participate with him in it. By grace, may we continue to be missionary churches. Amen. Oh God, thank you for the great truth of the Bible. Thank you for the global movement of the gospel. Thank you, oh God, for this faithful congregation and their participation in it. We pray, oh God, by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would continue. And that this congregation of saints who have come together in covenant would continue to be a congregation that is sending folks everywhere. Living out and leaning into what you have shown us in your written word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, CJ. I hope you've been encouraged, and I hope you've been challenged, because I have. Thank you so very much. And Grace, it is a privilege to get to be a part of this church family, because we are, you are, a missional church. And I can think of no better way to celebrate and respond to what we've just heard than to invite our short-term teams up, who are headed out this summer, and to pray God's blessing and commissioning over them. So, Elders, staff, come forward, and if you're a part of any of our three short-term teams, Johnny and Friends, Latvia, uh, Young Lives, come on up. Don't be shy. Come on up here. We want you here with us. And as we bring them up here, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, because we are going to basically be commissioning these folks as they represent us, but even more importantly, represent Jesus and the gospel as they go forth here in these coming months. So with that being said, as you might imagine, not everyone who's a part of these teams can be here this morning, but how many who are here on stage are part of the Latvia team? Would you raise your hand just so we can get a feel for who you are? Okay, our Latvia team, yes. And they brought the flag. That is outstanding. So our, our Latvia team is going to Latvia. We're partnering with um, uh, an entity there called Josiah Venture. They put on English camps, and that's what our team's going to be a part of, is this English camp where, where students, young adults, will be able to come and not only be introduced to English, but be introduced to Jesus as well. How about our Young Lives team? Who's a part of our Young Lives team? Okay, fantastic. <laughs> young Lives will be going to Eastern Oregon to, to minister to teen moms. And then how about Johnny and Friends? This is our Johnny and Friends team. They'll be journeying over to the coast for a camp that will be put on for families affected by disability and ministering to those there. It's just, it's fantastic. So thank you once again for going forth to represent the Lord Jesus, to proclaim the gospel. We as a church family just want to pray God's blessing over all of you as we prepare to end our time this morning. So would you bow your head in prayer with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have been challenged and encouraged by what we've heard here this morning from your word. We thank you for CJ, his passion for you. We thank you for the well 
being a missionary sending church, a missional church. And Lord, we want to deepen that here at Grace. And so we thank you for each one who is on the stage here who will be going to minister and take the gospel with Johnny and friends, with, with Latvia, with Young Lives. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen them. We pray that you will speak and minister through them. We pray that you will change them as they change lives for you. We pray that the gospel would be so clearly proclaimed by what they do and say, we pray for their health. We pray for unity. We pray for provision. God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit and your work through them. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We celebrate you. We love you. And we want to live out what we've been called to in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, team. Can you put that slide back up there? Uh, just one thing I want to remind everybody. There, we, we still have some financial needs uh, for our teams. So um, this is a QR code that will take you to the website. If you want to be a part of what's going on here at Grace and help send sending uh, the gospel around the nations. Man, we need your investment prayerfully and financially. So there's still some, every one of us going has to raise a certain amount of money. And a lot of us have already raised it, but there's some that still have needs. Man, would you go to the website and see if you can sponsor it? And you're not sponsoring, you're investing into the gospel to the nation. So thank you. And if you just want to write a check too and help, you can do that here at the church. So love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Philip, for being here. Um, have a great week. And we're going to end with where we will pick back up next week on Vision Sunday. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me pray his blessing over us as we go from here. Lord, as we go from here, would we live out the life change, the hope, the purpose that you give us through the gospel, through knowing Jesus, through receiving him into our lives. Lord, we thank you that your heart is for all people. And Lord, I confess that so often my world is all about me. And I don't want to live like that. I want to live missionally. I want to live intentionally and with the purpose that you have given me. So God, would you remind us once again of what you've done for us and would that compel us to then extend grace to other people, to love them, to encourage them, to serve them, and to tell the story of what you've done in our lives and what you can do for them. Lord, would we live out that power now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Out in the lobby will be some of the crew that you've seen here this morning. Please connect with them. Thank you for being here. We'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.